Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app. Major League Soccer is now a third of a way through its regular season. And with it, you're seeing some teams who are meeting expectations, some who are far exceeding theirs, and others who are still trying to catch up to where they thought they would be at this point of the season. As we take a look at how these teams are shaking up on the table and who's been worth watching just from an aesthetic standpoint, we're talking to resident statistician John Muller about goals added, what they tell us about who's fun, who's not fun, who's good, and who may not have sustainable success thus far this season. I'm Jeff Reuter, and this is Soccer Every Day for Monday, May 16th, 2022. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday. Happy Monday, Garfield. Uh, this is Soccer Every Day. My name is Jeff Reuter. I am not Alex Abnos, and joining me today is John Muller, and we'll be talking about Major League Soccer. Uh, Coming off yet another weekend of a full slate of games, even number of teams means that your team did not have a bye week this week, most likely. And in fact, they probably played two or three games because that's how the schedule is going to be this year. So we're going to be doing a little bit of what the eye test says, what the numbers say to get a sense of not just quality teams, but fun teams, because soccer is entertainment. Soccer should be fun. And if your soccer is not fun, you should be asking some questions about what you're doing with your time. So, John, we're going to be talking in the context of one particular metric, goals added. You might see it as G plus on the athletic and other areas um, of the soccer landscape. But for those very few people who would both be inclined to listen to a podcast like Soccer Every Day and do not know what goals added is, it feels like a very, very small center of this Venn diagram. Uh, what is the metric and why did you make it the way you made it? So goals added is a, a metric created by American Soccer Analysis that falls into kind of a family of stats called possession value stats. And all these things do is they use different statistical methods to estimate how much every action on the ball uh, changes a team's probability of scoring and conceding. So <clears throat> this this winds up being really useful for like telling kind of how good teams are. Because if you think about it, like, Points and goals like are just big chunks of things that don't happen very much, right? And so, right. like expected goals kind of caught fire early on as like a way to get a better read on things because you get a lot more shots than you do goals or points. And this is like going one step beyond that because you get a lot more passes and dribbles and tackles and all that stuff than you do shots. So you get yeah. like a really like fine grained read on what a team is doing well and whether they're kind of likely to score even if they don't manage to get a shot off. So. Last week I made this like kind of crazy viz with this thing just to see what was going on in MLS because you know I, I watch a fair amount but I don't get to see everything yeah. so I wanted to see like what's changed since last season and the viz is pure chaos so I need you to explain it to me and tell me what's happening there. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. There's uh, with a chart like this inevitable when you have an X Y um, sort of chart you will have a lot of teams in the middle 
right? And then just in general, I think that you will find teams that kind of play to the median. And of course, I think I'll list off some of these teams and call them the middle road. Real Salt Lake, Minnesota United, Houston Dynamo, Colorado Rapids, Portland Timbers, Nashville SC, Orlando City, SC, FC Dallas, Atlanta United. These are the side effects on the pharmaceutical commercial. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, you may find some slight discomfort if you're watching a game between the Houston Dynamo and the Colorado Rapids. Uh, please consult your doctor if the game lasts more than four hours. Um, if we're going beyond that, though, I think that this is going into this past weekend's game. So this is not counting the games that were played between May 13th and May 15th. But uh, two teams next to each other on this chart that you would never expect to see um, by each other at any point of last season, uh, the New England Revolution and FC Cincinnati are both vaguely in the fun and good area. You know, I didn't even like think <laughs> about that, but yeah, that's totally true. We've got the Supporter Shield winners and the Wooden Spoon winner, like the the best and worst teams of last year's season, basically look the same on this chart, more or less. So, what does that tell you? Does that tell you that? Cincinnati is much, much better than people expected they would be this year. New England is much, much worse than people expected. Or does it just say that soccer is a, a funny game where uh, the difference between a team that wins and loses on a day is less than we give credit for? I mean, MLS is definitely super weird, but it was weird in one specific way for the Revs last season, which is that, you know, the, the people who were looking at stats like goals added last season were saying, like, yeah, they've got a great attack. Their defense is really not that great. They're basically being propped up by Matt Turner, the best shot stopper that we've ever measured in MLS. And lo and yeah. behold, Matt Turner like misses most of the of the start of the season, and the Revs are not very good, right? I, I think that's what's going on right. there. I don't know. Yeah, and and funny enough, of course, he will not be with them for the second half of the season after he goes to Arsenal uh, to take over for Burn Leno as uh, the guy who catches the ball in warmups uh, when Aaron Ramsdale is going through his routine. Um, You're a pessimist. You've got Austin F. Yeah, he's, uh, he's Rams very good. Rams a little of, bit in the second half of the season. I, that, that's true. That job might be vulnerable. We'll see. That's true. It might be, um, especially if they're going to be, I mean, they'll be playing in Europe next year as well, um, which for a U.S. Men's National Team perspective, you would think that there's an increased chance that Matt Turner would at least get regular time in domestic cups, if not continental, if not the Premier League. So it's not necessarily doom and gloom for him. But it's uh, not every day that Arsenal. we talk about an MLS goalkeeper as even like a possibility for the Arsenal starting job or backup job for that matter. So like the point yeah. is the Revs had a really good goalkeeper when they didn't have a goal, good goalkeeper. They were kind of mediocre goals at it doesn't really reflect what the goalkeeper is doing. It just reflects kind of mm-hmm. where the ball is moving until then. So the Revs look basically the same as they did last season. Good offense, not great defense. Cincinnati meanwhile has moved from the bad quadrant to the fun quadrant, basically by by adding an attack. And I, I know that they got a new new coach this season. I know they've kind of made some changes in the front office, but they had like like Lucho Costa last year, and I've been hearing a lot more about him this season. It sounds like he's kind of getting yeah. back to his old self. Like, where is this attack coming from? Uh, yeah, I think Lucho Costa has been um, rediscovering his best form of his career, which would have been, I, I believe that would have been 2018, 2019, when Wayne Rudy uh, was also with DC United. He left the league for a little bit, Acosta that is, came back. First year in Cincy, really a struggle, was trying to acclimate with Brenner, uh, the club record signing um, from Brazil. He has also been kind of hit and miss again this year, but he is uh, Acosta has really forged a very, very good attacking partnership with Brandon Vasquez, who has suddenly worked his way into the long list of, wow, the United States men's national team needs a striker. Can anyone score goals? Brandon Vasquez, you can score goals. Uh, and so he's kind of played his way into that. But he's to Vasquez's credit, it's not just that he is the one guy who's in the right space tapping in a goal, uh, which is still a valuable player, don't get me wrong. Um, but he is playing in a unique way where his movement 
Um, kind of similar, actually, to Jesus Ferreira down in FC Dallas, who also had himself a very good weekend against the LA Galaxy. Um, you want a player who is multifaceted. It helps to have a player who you believe could work with some interchange with Christian Pulisic, with Gio Reyna, if he's healthy, with Brandon Aronson, Tim Weah. Um, so from a national team perspective, Vasquez is someone to take seriously and somebody to be watching moving forward. But from Cincinnati's standpoint, I think that the other thing is, yes, Acosta has been uh, creative and among the league's very best players in the final third or just approaching the final third in the first third of the season. Yes, Vasquez is finishing his chances. The biggest difference for Cincinnati this year is they look like they've been working on soccer. <laughs> it's it's so simplistic, but it is new for them. Yeah, I mean, like for the first three years, they're in Major League Soccer. They, they looked like a team where once they conceded the first goal, and it wasn't if, it was when, uh, the playbook went out the window. And they were scrambling, they were playing for the career, they were playing for their next job, they were playing for their next contract. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of cohesion of trust the process, stick to the plan, any of that. And Pat Noonan's done a really, really good job keeping everyone on the same page. Um, thinking Eastern Conference here, uh, another team... Uh, who is not as fun, <laughs> but is kind of in that mid-table um, malaise is the the Chicago Fire, uh, who spent big. Not, not as fun really. as being very generous. I want to for people who haven't seen these days, <laughs> we've got the top right quadrant, which is fun, right? As in they've got a really right. good attack and a bad defense, so just like lots of exciting stuff happens. It's end to end. Yeah. All the way at the opposite corner of this phase is the Chicago Fire, <laughs> just on their own little island. They've got apparently a really good defense and. No attack whatsoever, which kind of surprises me because last time we talked on our like MLS preview, they had just signed Jordan Shakiri and like we were like, hey, you know, this will be this should be fun. What happened? Right. Yeah, and and Jairo Torres also just came in from Club Atlas, which should also help. Um, Major League Soccer teams, defenses, opponents have found it very easy to neutralize the Chicago Fire because they haven't really had a second outlet. Um, even though his size implies that it's easy to lose track of Jordan Shakiri on a field. Um, He's wearing the number 10 shirt. He's Jared Anchikari. He's a very singular body type in men's soccer. And as a result of that, they're glomming on to him. They're finding him. They're frustrating him. I think I was watching the highlights of Chicago's game over the weekend. And within the first two minutes, he took a very, very hard challenge from an opponent. Um, they're, they're, getting, uh, they're giving him that old typical American physicality first defending. Uh, and frustrating him. He's been very creative. He's been very dangerous in terms of free kicks in particular, uh, but it just isn't material, materializing for the Chicago Fire. And they don't have that second outlet. Georgi Mihaljevic, they could desperately use him. These he's been days. falling out of Montreal. Every running. time I see a, a highlight clip, he's he looks better and better every week. Yeah, another goal over the weekend for him. Uh, another player to watch for in the summer camps uh, for the U.S. men's national team. But instead, you know, they, they're really struggling. Yes, they've been defensively sound. No, they are not breaking down as easily as they were in past years under Rafael Vicky. Uh, Wiki. I don't think it's a V sound with him, even though it's kind of like a Polish-American thing. I don't know. Vicky, Wiki, either way, it wasn't working. Verking. Uh, so as a result of that, they um, uh, not fun. Yeah, and it's it's perfect because you could do a great portmanteau of Shakiri and Chicago and make Chicago and you could print the shirts if they're a fun team, make so much money. But, you know, they're probably printing the shirts anyway. Who am I kidding? Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. 
With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, Western Conference, uh, LAFC, kind of similar to New England, where they're maybe less fun than they looked last year, but they're better. What does goals added tell you about LAFC? Because uh, I saw them in person, so I do have a very, like, uh, last month I was shadowing Steve Sherundolo for a piece I put up on The Athletic a couple weeks ago, worth checking out. So I've got the eye test down to a T. <laughs> but I would uh, I would love to hear what Goals Added is saying about LAFC. So, so we're now down in the bottom right quadrant where we've got, like, the two New York teams, the Red Bulls and New York City, are, like, the two best teams in the league, according to Goals Added. But right behind them is LAFC, who I think are top in points right now. And yeah. Goals Added has always loved LAFC. In 2019, they were like the best team MLS has ever seen. 2020, 2021, they were not. But their Goals Added was still just phenomenal. It was, it was above everybody else uh, for those two seasons. So the stats were saying that LAFC was doing a lot of things right. The goals and the points were not. And, and essentially, I think right. what it came down to was that like they were a really good team. They, they had some turnover. Um, they, they had some injuries. Carlos Vela spent a lot of time injured. Uh, but yeah. despite all those things, they were doing things right. The, mostly they just had a lot of defensive breakdowns and they had really bad goalkeeping, just horrific goalkeeping. Um, and so even though they were like a decent team, they were getting shredded at the back. And I guess that's not happening this season. I don't know. I, I know that yeah. Bob Bradley went out to Toronto. Steve Sharondolo came in. He said, like, we're basically going to try to do the same things that Bradley did because he could see they were a good team. Yeah. So what's what's gone well? Why did why did the defense stop sucking? Yeah, they um, well, they, they took the midfield seriously from a defensive perspective. I, I think that they were really overworking on Tuesta in the past and, um, you know, kind of entrusting him with the entirety of mopping up the middle of the field. This year, two of their big acquisitions came from within Major League Soccer, bring in Kellen Acosta, one of the most tireless motors in the league, someone who can play as a six, play as an eight, do some facilitating, definitely help them on free kicks as well, right-footedly, um, which is a good contrast that they needed from Carlos Vela. Uh, and he has been doing the running so that Ilya Sanchez doesn't have to. And that was a problem that Sporting Kansas City was running into last year, no pun intended, was that their entire midfield was aging uh, day and day. As How old is Ilya? He's got to be like 34 by now, right? Yeah, he's he's in his like approaching mid-30s, approaching the, oh, the wheels are coming off phase of a midfielder who's been playing as long at such a high level as he has. Um, he wasn't... Yeah, he, he, he wasn't getting uh, the same sort of support uh, in the midfield as he is getting in LAFC. Uh, they're also very deep at center back. I'm not quite sure why they're going after Keeley. And he just from purely a where is your biggest need. But if you can get him not a designated player thing and you can get him to be the mentor for Mamadou Fall, that alone is probably worth whatever you're going to pay in his salary in Mamadou Fall's future uh, transfer fee. So he has stepped up and become like a top three center back fall in Major League Soccer uh, before the age of 20, which is just incredible. Um and uh, goalkeeping, they've been better uh, with Maxime Propos. He's, he's looked much more the part. He was uh, keeping Vancouver in games that they frankly had no business keeping in games in the early part of last season before they went on the toward run under Vandy Sartini. Um, and he, with Mark Dos Santos, are back in Vancouver. I don't think Dos Santos has much to do with Propos' success between the posts this time around. Um, but he has really blossomed credit to him from being kind of a second division bounce around the Canadian clubs type of player to someone who truly has been performing like a top half MLS goalkeeper. So nothing to sneeze at there. 
Um, we mentioned Jesus Ferreira a little bit earlier. I'm curious about Dallas as a whole because I think that they're a team – Every team in Texas has had a new coach over the last uh, 18 months. I suppose Austin FC kind of counts because they're a new team. Um, Houston has had to make a change and then Dallas as well. Uh, they came in to Carson, uh, played the Galaxy off the field with three early goals. Um, wasn't really much of a fight back from the Galaxy. But I feel like Dallas is maybe a team that we're not necessarily looking at as much, talking about as much. But it was a really good, impressive result over the weekend. Probably one of the best. I know I read them in my sort of... Seattle side effects segment to start the show, but um, what have what have you seen um, from Dallas and, and what maybe makes them interesting for the most, second? Most of what I've season. seen is a lot of Jesus Ferrer highlight reels, which is super exciting for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's actually a guy. Speaking of goals added, his individual goals added uh, was really phenomenal as a as a teenager. He kind of was like ahead of the age curve, right? And he was mm. showing up on goals added charts where like you know the guys who were at his level all went to Europe uh, at about his age. The problem yeah, was shout that, out Ricardo Pepe. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, Ferrer's goals added stats are, are way above Pepe's, and and you know above a lot of these guys. Uh, the problem was that I think in 2020, COVID hit. Uh, Dallas was kind of like trying some different stuff. They weren't sure what Ferrer's position was. He had a real down year, and I kind of like wrote him off. I kind of lost track of him. And then yeah. in uh, 2021, he kind of bounced back, showed up with the national team. This year, it seems like he's really going to make himself a star, and that's that's pretty exciting for uh, USMNT that could desperately use a striker right now. Yes, they could, and and he again does have some of that you know withdrawn forward potential where you're not necessarily thinking he has to lead the line in every single attacking movement to feel like he's doing his job. And sometimes that's hard from a formation standpoint to be able to get your wingers and your attacking midfielder if you're playing in a four-two-three-one. Um, to be in a cohesive space to let that forward drop back and not have the line of engagement be so low, especially if you turn the ball over. Uh, but the flip side of it is Dallas looks like they've had the players, you know, Paul Ariola, another one of those just kind of absolutely tireless dogs in major league soccer, who uh, has no problem chasing the game, doing what he needs to putting his body on the line. Uh, I, I swear he's a guy who has a diving header every game. And most of the time he doesn't need to do it. Um, but Dallas, they've looked better under Nico Estevez. They've certainly looked like they're taking steps in the right direction. And like you said, credit to Dallas for being able to lock down Jesus Ferreira at such a young age, especially right after selling Ricardo Pepe to Augsburg. Um, and several other players, because Dallas is a club where they're known for youth development, but not necessarily at the pro level or turning that into on-field success, not since Mauro Diaz and Fabian Castillo, uh, which is over half a decade ago, which is crazy to think about. Um John, anything else that's standing out to you or anything else that you're working on that you want to shamelessly plug as we uh, wrap this up? I think we're pushing time, but since you brought it up, I want to ask you the big picture question, right? LAFC, I think their initial build that did really well in this league was kind of maybe the last gasp of that like uh, MLS 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever you called it, where they were kind of trying to recruit. 2.5. Yeah, they were trying to recruit guys yeah. who were kind of up and coming from South America, make them stars in the league, sell them on. They kind of did it like with Diego Rossi, not that well. But they've kind of transitioned to like a new model and they seem to have made that transition smoothly. Dallas is much more like what the league is doing now, which is basically running a good academy, uh, selling players onto Europe young when they have that potential, keeping the rest and just kind of adding a few veterans here and there. Um, I don't know. Like, is is that where the league is going? Is the league going to look more like FC Dallas? Is is LAFC going to look more like FC Dallas uh, as their academy comes online? Yeah, I think so. I think academies are going to become a big part of it. I also think that MLS teams have just found 
much better. This is something I should write about, huh? They've just found much better financial returns and MLS, you know, you, you look at the valuations of this franchise as yes, finances matter to every single club in this league. You can't pretend they don't not like any other league in the world. So they found a much better return on investment on academy players, on homegrown players, even if you're selling for a modest fee, you know, kind of a small seven figure fee for these early transfers. If you look at like the Colorado Rapids moving Sam Vines and Cole Bassett to Europe, for example, um, that is more valuable than say spending eight figures on Ezekiel Barco, bringing him in from Argentina and assuming you're the launch pad that's going to be able to move in. There's a reason that Miguel Almiron is still such a singular player in MLS history in terms of making that move from being a young, under-recognized star in South America, using MLS as a way to boost his own personal stock and then make a move to a top-level club. That doesn't I think happen he actually is often. a large part of the reason that he is a singular player, is that you know he, yeah. had, a, he had an adjustment to go to a, a bottom-of-the-table Premier League team in Newcastle and play a, yeah. a different style and and he just like wasn't the star in england that he was in the u.s and i think that that really cooled off the market for these guys and, and dampened perceptions of how that transition would go absolutely i mean you look at where his replacement ended up pd martinez it, it, not nearly the same sort of level of club where it was even just a you know shulka desperately you know rolling the dice in a relegation season hoping that he could create chances um i think that's important i think that that return in investment that success rate and that ability to actually be able to turn a player um, who's used to your club, used to the league, um, to be able to get them ready to follow in the path, even if it's not an Alfonso Davies type sale. Again, there's no, uh, you look at, you know, Kevin Paredes, you look at um, Sam Vines, we're just doing left backs, George Bello, right? Like these are, <laughs> these are sustainable. These are replicable. You are able to continually develop these sorts of players, especially defenders, because right now there's kind of a shortage of defenders sneakily um, in this FIFA era of young players coming up. So if you are actually able to develop those fullbacks, get those center backs that can even just be squad guys on, you know, European level clubs, that's massive. And that's going to get your return on investment far quicker and to a much greater extent than if you're spending $6 million on a Uruguayan and hoping that he'll pan out. And so. that, to me personally, makes even teams that are middle of the pack or in the boring quadrant fun to watch. I, I really enjoy watching yeah. these, these young MLS prospects. So thanks a lot, Jeff. Uh, it's been fun to catch up on what's going on in the league, and uh, I hope to check in again this summer. Sounds good. Apparently we're doing this by trimesters, so I look forward to talking to you in late August at the rate that Alex gives us this show. So thank you for listening to uh, Soccer Every Day, and uh, tomorrow is Tuesday, or so I hear.